Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. The fastest way to become an atheist is to read the Bible. Yeah, you heard me right. That's a popular meme going around. The fastest way to become an atheist is to read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you do what it appears anyway, seem to see anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery views. I mean, look, God could ban shrimp or ban slavery. He chooses shrimp? This is the kind of God we worship? Really? Well, how do we deal with issues like this? Do the atheists have a point? And by the way, where are they getting the moral standard in order to judge those things? But we'll save that for another another program. Right now, I want to introduce to you a, a man I've known for several years, and he's from New Jersey, so he's really an excellent guy. And he's written a fabulous new book. The book is called How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. The man is Dan Kimball. Dan grew up in New Jersey, but he has been a pastor in Santa Cruz, California, the, the, the heart of the beast right there. It's a beautiful place, but it is very progressive in both its politics and its theology. But Dan has served there for many years. He's with Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz. He's also a faculty member at Western Seminary. He leads the Regeneration Project, which exists to equip and encourage new generations to think theologically and participate in the mission of the church. And this book, I'm telling you, is excellent. You know, we've talked about another book similar to this for many years, Is God a Moral Monster?, well, this book takes it even a step further than that, dealing with so many of the issues that young people see in the Bible, particularly they see it on the Internet. And they're like, yeah, why would I believe the Bible? It seems to be crazy. Well, Dan has a great answer to, to many of these issues here. So, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Well, and thank you for having me, fellow New Jersey born and raised uh, person. <laughs> That's right. That, uh, yeah. I'm now, glad now, I grew Dan, up You grew there. up in, in Paramus. I grew up in a place called Neptune, maybe about 30 minutes from there. What Give give folks who may not have heard about you, your history. You, you grew up in New Jersey. You were not a Christian. What happened? Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. I, I would have been just, uh, I think there's maybe a God, but didn't think about it too much. Went to Colorado State University, and it was actually a Colorado State University through um, some of the, you know, at the beginning of the school year when they put out like tables for different kind of groups to join various campus clubs, there was a, a little tract from a Christian group. And I can still remember this, just walking by seeing this thing. And it was one of these tracks that said, Jesus is the only way to God. And I was not searching anything, but basically saw that tract. I'm like, is that what Christians really believe? Uh, you know, everybody else is wrong, but them. And I can say like that moment was I'm like, God, is there something there? What is this? I really believe that when I kind of said, if God's there, 
how do I answer this? That that started a journey for me just to say what is true and what isn't. And is Christianity the suburban religion of America? And just because you're born here, that's what you're born into. And it was through reading books that I moved to England. I was playing in a punk and rockabilly band for many years, lived there. And an 82-year-old uh, pastor that I walked by their church, walked in kind of randomly one afternoon, took me under his wing. He was intelligent, uh, loved having questions asked to him, didn't judge me for my haircut or dress or the music I was into. And it was through uh, a little elderly church, um, the most backwards one you could probably think in London, England, where I ended up putting faith in Jesus through their ministry. And then moved wow. back to California. The bass player got a job in California or went to California and ended up here and been here since. And how did you get involved in the church there? Yeah, just volunteering. I was drumming and I drummed, uh, went into a church called Santa Cruz Bible Church and uh, knew I wanted to be in a church, looked up in the phone book. Well, the phone book, right? So this is dating uh, the phone book. <laughs> it's a phone Pretty book, Dan. <laughs> looked up in the phone book, but I still remember the feeling. I like seeing words like Episcopalian, Presbyterian. I had no idea what those things were. I thought it was like viruses or like, I didn't know what these names were. And so I saw like, you know, Bible church. I'm like, that one makes sense. So that's why I picked that church. And it was a Bible teaching, great church, volunteered, got asked me to serve in youth, ended up going full-time on uh, church staff with youth, then young adults. And then we planted a church, Vintage Faith Church, out of that church. Well, this new book, How Not to Read the Bible, is a great apologetics book that is so sorely needed today, Dan, because as you know, you've been working with youth for 30 years. Why now are youth more skeptical than ever about the Bible? Yeah, I mean, like you said, serving in youth ministry, young adult ministry for 30 years, you see, you know, there's always been generational disconnect. There's always been like, the music, uh, you know, the 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 style of preaching and different things more cosmetically, aesthetically, stylistically. And there's been a generational disconnect with those things. This is entirely, entirely different because what I'm seeing going on is that there's a lot of younger people growing up in churches that have great music, great felt need, practical preaching. They are loved there isn't complaints against the church. Like it was a backwards church or I was, I was hurt in the church. This is, I'm now reading the Bible and all of a sudden they're seeing things that they had never been taught before. And that's because of, I really believe the development, all of, you know, of the internet media, easy access to these things and the, um, and I say the activist atheists, there are many, many wonderful atheists that aren't activists and they, they are kind, loving people. And then there's those that are more activists about it and are posting memes up on the on Pinterest, Facebook. And it's kind of like a um, renting billboards. You know, uh, I think it might have been Charlotte or somewhere they rented a billboard. I saw a photo of Bible verses that are about like you, this is the diff, this is the part that's changed. The Bible is now being used to disprove, to discredit the Bible and the Christian faith. There's Bible verses that are being put up about women be silent, you know, go home and ask your husband's questions. It's, it's, uh, you know, don't speak up in church. Slavery is okay. in Bible verses, you know, God killing babies and children and putting Bible verses up with memes. And if I have never seen those before, all of a sudden it's catching me totally off guard. 
And that's what's going on with so many younger people of, and all of age, all ages as well. But that's what makes it so different today. It's not criticism against the style of the church. There's, we've figured out how to do music and smoke machines and all that st stuff, but it's, <laughs> it's now, you know, it's, it's now about seeing scripture that they have maybe not necessarily been taught before and it's catching them off guard. Yes. And I love the Babylon B headline. Holy Spirit unable to move after fog machine breaks. <laughs> you know? no, so, right, yeah. That's not the issue anymore. The issue now is these seemingly crazy verses in the Bible are being yanked out of context and they're put up in in memes. They're put up on Instagram. They're put up on Pinterest. They're put up on Facebook, on TikTok, wherever. And young people never have been taught these verses are even in the Bible. And of course, they haven't been taught about how to actually exegete them. So what we're going to do when we come back from the break is we're going to get into how to exegete these passages. What are some principles you can use from Dan Kimball's new book, How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. By the way, Dan's website, dankimball.com, Dan Kimball, K-I-M-B-A-L-L.com. The foreword on this book, by the way, is written by our friend Sean McDowell. You need to get it. It just came out like December 1st. And I was privileged enough to put an endorsement on it. And uh, as soon as the book came, I said, wow, this book needs to get wide readership. So that's why I'm telling you about it here. And when we come back from the break, we're going to do that with Dan Kimball. Also want to mention this Sunday, uh, December 6th, I'm going to be at Moments of Hope Church. Actually, it's in Fort Mill, South Carolina. All the details are on our website. And next week... December 14th through the 16th, I'm going to be down at America at the Crossroads Conference in Pine Mountain, Georgia. That's for pastors. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see it there. We'd love to have you join us. I'm back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. That event for pastors uh, in December, December 14th through the 16th, actually 13th through the 16th, is in Callaway Resort and Gardens in Pine Mountain. Been there because it's right across the street from uh, Impact 360. We're going to be talking about God, about economics, about race, about government. It's not just me. Dan Celia here at AFA is going to be there and several other folks. You don't want to miss it. If you're a pastor uh, and we want pastors to bring their wives, it's it's totally devoted to you and to try and help you in this in this brave new world we're in. So uh, go to our website, crossexamine.org and click on events. Frank Turk calendar. You'll see it there. It shows you how to sign up. It's very inexpensive. And we want pastors and their wives to come to this event. All right. Let me go back to my guest today, Dan Kimball, his new book, How Not to Read the Bible. Dan, let's start at the beginning with regard to you have a section in here that you and I have have both uh, taken from our friend, uh, uh, Greg Kokel, who always says this, never read a Bible verse. Why is that so important? You have a whole section in here on that. Yeah, I think underlying the the whole situation that's going on is is both both Christians and non-Christians not understanding what the heck the Bible is and basic Bible study methods. I mean, I think 90% of the problems would be solved if we understood what the Bible is and basic 
principles for Bible study methods. And one of them is uh, the classic, you know, Greg's saying, uh, never read a Bible verse because it's so easy to see, you know, a billboard or a meme that has a verse about, you know, selling your daughter into slavery from Exodus and a, right. and an image, you know, I've seen like, you know, graphical images of like a dad putting his daughter into a van with a Bible verse underneath that saying God endorses that or, uh, all, you know, women be silent and she's the Bible verse and her t- mouth is taped shut to say like, look what's happening. And you see the Bible verse and like, how can that be true? It's, and it's what Greg says, and it's basic Bible hermeneutics, uh, study methods is you always have to stop, never look at the single verse, always back out and look at what's the paragraph. What's the, uh, What's the book it's in? Where in the whole Bible storyline is it? Who wrote it? Who was it written to? And that will solve so many of the issues. That's why it's not like a scary, you know, it's not this, oh my goodness, we didn't know these Bible verses were in there before, you know, or it's just that we have not been, uh, many people have not been uh, taught how to study the Bible correctly. How are Christians guilty of this themselves, Dan, when it comes to just pulling verses out of context? Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, what we've had is, I mean, not all churches. There are some churches that have been very faithful and have been teaching through, you know, how to study the Bible and, and all of that. I think the broad amount of churches, however, generally we focus on the the good Bible verses, the positive things that are being taught you know, extracting truths from scripture about how to apply to day-to-day life to help us with with marriage, with, you know, looking at money, looking at uh, how to treat people, good principles from the scriptures. But we've pulled these verses out and we put them on coffee mugs and, you know, and we'll <laughs> memorize, and it's good, good verses. But what we haven't been doing is how, to, what about the verses that blatantly say, put women, you know, First Samuel 15, uh, two and three, put women, children, infants to death, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see that verse on a coffee mug in a Christian bookstore. Uh, you don't see that <laughs> right. as the one that people are memorizing or it, it and we kind of like skip those a little bit or don't focus on them. And so Christians have been guilty of the same thing of only focusing on the happy verses. And now we're seeing those that are kind of trying to discredit Christianity, pulling out all of the the crazy sounding, evil sounding verses and saying, look at what you Christians believe. Do you even know it's in there? Well, you do do a wonderful job in the book, how not to read the Bible on how to get the right context. So let's dive in on a few of these. Why don't we start with the slavery issue? We've covered this on this program before, but just say a couple of things about slavery. What about this verse that seems to say you can sell your daughter into slavery? Where does that come from? And, and what is the true context of that, Dan? Yeah, it's Exodus 21, verse 7. And what it talks about, again, all right, let's look at what we just talked about. So I see a verse and, uh, you know, there's even a graphical image of that someone is mocking the Bible saying, look, there's a dad putting his daughter into a van getting money for her, like with a Bible verse. I see that and it looks horrific and evil and like, what is going on there? So my, if I'm only looking at that and saying, look, there's a Bible verse, I can walk away saying, I can't believe that, that that's what God would say to do. What you don't do is then never read a Bible verse, recognize that, that w- the Bible was written for us, but not to us. That was a story. That's a John Walton from Wheaton saying. 
that is, you know, there's a story going on, there's a context, what's happening in the ancient Near East world, what, who is that written to? It was written to the Israelites that were leaving Egypt after 400 years of slavery, going to new land. And so then God was laying out instruction for, uh, for a people in that culture. We're not in that culture, so we can't expect to understand it. But to answer the question, you then go into that culture, and that in all likelihood is dealing with the, if a, if a, uh, when poverty was happening, when if there was famine going on, if there was a family that could not afford food and was in a desperate situation, a family unit could, and the word translated often into the more recent versions of uh, scripture, will say servant, not necessarily always slavery. You always have to say, what's the word? And it meant that a dad was then caring for his daughter and it was like sell, uh selling, putting your daughter into a, a situation where that she could have food, shelter, not have to go to prostitution or something else to make money. And it was because there's no social security system, there's no Medicare, there's no welfare. That was kind of the welfare system of their day to do that. And what you see God doing is actually giving instruction of how to make sure it was a caring situation, not a bad situation. And God, this is really, really important. And I know you talk about this all the time. You know, it. God didn't start this stuff. This was part of the culture already. Uh, God was using what pre-existing conditions and then helping guide them to a better, a better way of doing it. So that is a, a totally misreading of just looking at a Bible verse and saying, look what's going on. It was actually a caring situation for a family member that we can't understand in our minds. But going back to that culture, it makes a lot more sense. And it was not like modern day slavery, kidnapping and putting someone against their will and all of that in there. Again, very quick answer to a very complex verse, but that's my response back. And you unpack it so well in the book, how not to read the Bible. You also point out that when we see the word slavery in the Bible, it doesn't mean the same kind of race-based slavery we had here in America. It was more indentured servitude, as you point out, Dan. And so that makes a lot more sense in the context you put it there. Without the context, we don't understand how this could could mean something good when, in fact, it does. As you pointed out, you're actually caring for your daughter by giving her food, shelter, caring for, in another family. Uh, it wasn't selling her into some sort of forced servitude uh, where she had no rights at all. How about... Um, the other passage that that always comes up uh, that uh, you hear quite a bit and you cover, there's a whole chapter on it, so we can't cover it into detail. But this idea about women be silent in the church, women be silent in the church, that seems to be in Paul seems to mention that in First Corinthians. He also mentions it in uh, in First Timothy. W what is the situation there? Yeah. Okay. Well, again, a classic one. Um, and you see this, in fact, in the book, it might've been, it might've been North or South Carolina where this came out of, there was a news story about uh, someone that pl put first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35 on their, mm -hmm. the back of their truck. And it was trying to say like, read your Bible, you Christians, you, you are so, so, anti-women and idiots for believing this stuff because that verse says, I'm looking in my Bible right now, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, 
but, but must be submission, as the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, I don't know the Bible much, or and all of a sudden I see that on a on a on a uh, the verse, the Bible verse, and then the reference on a truck, on a billboard, on a meme. Then I have a graphic with a woman, you know, with their mouth taped shut or something worse that I've seen graphically. I'm like, that's in the Bible. At face reading this thing, all right, if you and I didn't ever read a Bible and all of a sudden we see that verse, it's saying, be in submission, be silent. It's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church, mm. right? I would say like, oh, that's a horrible religion. Um and then put a graphic to it. Oh my goodness! I'm getting out. Of the, I, that's that's wicked. Uh, so, what do we do? That is a scripture. So, um, what happens is then you have to say what's going on there. One who wrote it, Paul, who was written to a specific church, right? It's a specific church in a specific time period, in a specific situation. Paul, three chapters earlier, Paul encouraging women to actually prophesy and pray in the church gathering. So he couldn't have mean total silence. So when you start looking into it, there's several different options. And I, and I do write about them and I know you write about them and mm -hmm. talk about them of saying, this is not saying women just be quiet and can't talk and only can go home. There's cultural things that, that could have been, you know, were they uh, the cultural of uh, the cultural setting of a woman in that time period in a Greek or Roman context in the city of Corinth, it would have been inappropriate in any situation to just be blurting things out. Paul was using customs and how they were trained to learn at that period. And unless you understand the culture, you're seeing it as something totally rude. And, and the same author, Paul in Galatians says, women and men are equal before God's sight. You don't see this, the, uh, again, I'm, I'm I can talk so much on this and as you, because it's taking verses, twisting their meaning through uh, easy, clever memes and graphics, and then it disrupts people's confidence in scripture. And, and I'm just saying, I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm just telling you, like, as you well know, there's reasonable responses to all of these. Uh, and, and that's the sad part about it. And those reasonable responses are in Dan's new book. We're talking to Dan Kimball. The book is called How Not to Read the Bible. It just came out just a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, actually, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. It's an easy read. And Dan, what another thing I love about the book, you have so many illustrations in here. You have some of these memes that we're talking about. You have them actually printed in the book. You have a great section in here on what the Bible is all about, what the big picture is. And since, uh, in fact, the big picture is in a picture, actually, it shows us what the uh, the six phases of uh, of the Bible story is about. When we come back, we'll talk about those six phases briefly and then get into some more of these issues that we want to discuss regarding how to properly interpret the Bible. Dan Kimball is my guest, dankimball.com, seminary professor, also a pastor, worked with youth for many years. He knows what's going on in the culture, and this book will help you if you have young people in particular. Back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. If you haven't downloaded our app yet, why not? It's free. Two words in the App Store, crossexamine. We've got well over 200,000 people have downloaded that app. They're finding it helpful. It has uh, a quick answer section on there that can get you answers to some of these problems we're even talking about today. Today, my guest is Dan Kimball, who has written really a wonderful new book that anyone can read and understand. It's called How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Dan is a seminary professor at Western Seminary. He's also uh, pastor out at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California, and he's done some wonderful work here. Now, Dan, so much of understanding anything is understanding the big picture. In order to understand the details, as you point out, you have to understand the big picture. What is the big picture of the Bible? You have like a, a six-phase way of looking at the Bible or a six-act way. Can you kind of tell us what the big picture is? Yeah, I mean, it's um, the Bible is it's when I'm saying a story, I'm not talking about a fictional story or a Lord of the Rings story. It's a but it definitely is a unified story that all points to Jesus. And whenever you're opening the Bible, I mean, this is so I mean, I, I can't overstress this as a source of why this is uh, such a problem today is when you open up the scriptures, you're opening up every page you're opening up. It's a library of books different genres you have to say like is this a when you walk into a library and you pull a book off the history shelf you're not going to interpret it like you would um you know a law book or a poem so again these are basic bible study methods but under all of these books are in a in a grand story and when scholars look at the grand story and you know i didn't make this up this is uh kind of you can see it almost like in six acts acts like acts almost like a play in many ways, but it's a beautiful story that God has laid out to tell us about who he is, how he created us, our purpose, the future. And the six acts are really important because when you open up the Bible, you're, you're being in one of those acts, you know, you're part of that story. So if you're reading, um, say the first act is God creates and he's dwelling with people and in, in the garden of Eden and his presence is with them then humans rebel and there's a fall away from God and also a loss of his pr intimate presence. And that's really important uh, because then that changes the story. Then it goes into another, you could say another, that's act two of humans rebel. Then there's act three of redemptions initiated. And it's talking about a promise that one day a savior will come through the lineage of Abraham. And then the story, it's a thrilling story. Uh, that's why genealogies are so fun to read when you understand the story. And then it's, and then it walks into another act of when Jesus then comes and that's redemption provided that was promised. Then it goes into act five. There's a mission that's the church is on right now. And then act six is redemption completed new heavens and new earth. And whenever you open the Bible, you're opening up to one of those sections of the story. And if you're look like, and say the Leviticus laws, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. 
that is in act three. Again, I'm not, when I'm saying act, I'm talking about actual, a real story, what happened. When, when you open up, of, say, the Levitical laws and you're reading something, which is the mockery, you know, godhateshrimp.com. There was a website, godhateshrimp.com, mocking Christians. You eat shrimp, you're eating bacon, uh, you play football. Um, have you heard that one about it? Of you're playing, you, yeah, and that's right. <laughs> this is the madness of this. And this is uh -huh. why I can feel myself almost tensing up like this is um, it's madness <laughs> is that um, you're reading, say, a, a verse like, you know, do not eat shrimp. Uh, or, or don't eat shellfish, don't eat shrimp. And then it gets plastered up on a billboard, a mocking Bible verse. And then I'm seeing pop culture celebrities saying, well, Christian, do you, do you eat shrimp? You know, like uh, saying you're hypocrites. You're, 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 there's stuff in the Bible that you're not practicing, yet you're focused on other things. And so something like those dietary laws and the Leviticus uh, uh, laws there were written to a specific people coming out of slavery into a land where there's many other people groups around them that were worshiping all different types of gods and doing very horrible practices and in worship, infant sacrifice and things that you talk about. And so God laid down some laws that we would then not participate in mimicking the things of the surrounding cultures. So do they, so you say, does that matter for us today? If you continue the storyline in act four, redemption's completed, there's a new law that's the law of Christ and what's written out in the New Testament. We can eat shrimp all we want today. And that's why the storyline is really important to know. So we're not pulling things out of context, not placing them in the right storyline, and then totally misapplying them and then thinking the Bible's crazy when it wasn't written to us. You know, I mentioned um, the story of uh, um, like laws that don't make sense to us right. today. There's the, I, I should talk about the illustration. This allegedly is still a law in Arizona. I believe uh -huh. it was where it says you cannot have a donkey in a bathtub. And that's the legal law in still in the books. Yeah. You seen, <laughs> your yeah. donkey can't sleep in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah. And that you read that today, like what well, that's insane. And like, what well, that's, that's ridiculous, but it wouldn't have been ridiculous to them back then because what they, back then there was a, this was a true story, you know, that where a, a farmer or someone kept a donkey in a bathtub, there's a dam that broke or something. And the, the bathtub was washed into a mud basin. They couldn't get it out. It was a big struggle. And so they said, Hey, you can't do this anymore. And they put a law in don't keep a donkey in a bathtub. Now it meant something. If you were living in that town at that time, it would have been, of course, we better not do that. It sounds absurd to us today. But that's why the scriptures, you got to go back into the storyline, what was going on to understand their world. If you don't, it's going to sound insane to us in our modern world. You have another one in here. And this is, this is from chapter five, Dan, of how not to read the Bible with Dan Kimball. You say in Kentucky, it is illegal to carry ice cream in your back pocket. And, and yeah. you explain why. Go ahead. Explain why. Yeah, you again, can't carry ice cream in your back pocket yeah. in Kentucky. So we hear that today, like you, you could say like, that's crazy. And it was because of horse thieves. You could put ice cream cone in your back pocket or horses then would follow you because they were roaming at that time. And there's to prevent horses from following people that put ice cream in their back pocket. Right? Crazy to us today. We're not in that world, but back then it was an actual law. <laughs> and, and so when you, uh, well, let's just take shrimp, for example, or shellfish. Why? 
would Yahweh tell his people, the Israelites, not to eat shellfish? What's the point of that? Do we know? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, the shellfish one is there's various opinions about it. Yeah, uh-huh. as you know, so it could be it could be for health. It could have been for mimicking some of the dietary practices of surrounding people groups. Uh, there's some different thoughts on that specific one. And then there's other ones like, you know, mixing two fabrics or the tattoos that are very easier to understand with, because then the surrounding people, those, it was saying, you're not supposed to, um, don't be parallel with the worship of other gods that were Mm. out there. Mm. And so those type of practices were then mimicking some of the worshiping of other gods. So there's restrictions on doing those things that if you're an ancient Israelite, you'd have known what was going on. Today, we don't understand it. Why would God do that? And um, it's, and, the, and so it's the summary of all of those things. It all comes down to studying where in the storyline and who is it written to enter into that world. And then we makes a lot more sense. And it's kind of cheap shots at the Bible to take a Bible verse out of context, put it up on a billboard or on a meme. And of course, it's juicy looking. It's like amazing. Look at this. But it's such a poor usage of of the scriptures and logic. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. We're talking to Dan Kimball, his new book, How Not to Read the Bible as Someone is a book that everyone should read, especially if you have young people around you, because they're seeing these memes all over social media. And if you can't help them answer them, they just may walk away from the faith and say, this is a ridiculous faith. Why should I ever believe in any of this now? Uh. Dan, generally, why is it that the Old Testament laws don't apply to Christians today? I, I know they do when they're repeated in the New Testament, but, you know, thou shalt not murder still applies. But, you know, the, the dietary laws, the, the civil laws that govern the nation of Israel, why, why are they no longer applicable to Christians today or binding on Christians today? Yeah, now they are very binding to the people of Israel, right? At that time, those were made sense. It was for them. Then what you see is then when Jesus came, and then he was the fulfillment like of all of the things in the Old Testament that were pointing to someone coming and it was him. And he, he, he lives his life, he teaches and he teaches things like now you can eat all foods. You have to then study what Jesus then taught when he went to the cross, died, rose again as a payment for our sin, which again, the whole, the whole concept of atonement goes back to the Old Testament. Jesus is our atonement, putting faith in him. And it's a be- that's why the whole storyline, the atonement of Jesus makes even more beautiful sense when you look at the whole Old Testament and what they're doing, pointing to him. And then the new law starts, and that's the law of Christ. That is through him and how we have life and his teachings. And then you study the New Testament when Jesus takes the law and he doesn't say, just don't murder physically. He starts talking about murdering people in your heart. And the moral and the ethics of most of the moral, the sexual ethics, all of those type of things, they continue in the New Testament. You see a continuation and even a sharpening of those moral laws generally. And you don't see the dietary laws anymore or the civil laws that were laws instituted to the people of Israel. Those are no longer for us today, but clearly then you can see what is uh, for us today and what the New Testament teaches. Uh, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. And that's why it's easy to see this when you simply know the storyline. But this this is what's madness. This, this is why I keep saying this is madness. Like, you know, the, the classic West Wing uh, little clip about the Bible. Right. You know, if you type in YouTube West Wing Bible, you'll see this. 20 years and ago, one this got, program was on TV for those of you. Yeah, it was, a, t- it was yeah. a TV program yeah. 10 years ago or something yeah, like probably that. Probably 20 and now, yeah. 
Yeah, it's still popular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, watching the repeats of it. But it was a, a very, it was a, uh, was it a, you know, a Globe award-winning TV show. And they have the one classic episode where uh, the president walks in, Martin Sheen, and then he's kind of like quoting Bible verses to a Christian radio show host. And then she doesn't know how to answer. And he talks about, you know, selling your daughter into slavery and, uh, don't touch the dead, the skin of a dead pig. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, and then he mocks her and he says, you know, so that means we can't play football because of the pig skin. Right. Well, think of this, this made it through the script writers. This made it through the actors and actresses, like talking it all through. Then they filmed it. And then no one caught that. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say, not only because of the Bible verse, like touching the skin of a dead pig, isn't applicable in our culture today because of Jesus and the law. That's a law that does not mean anything is not uh, for us to practice today. Mm-hmm. But then the whole pig skin thing, uh, the footballs are not footballs are not made of pig skins, right? <laughs> that, and that was a nickname about, it was a pig bladder that they used to put deer skin on back in Europe. And then it got a nickname and footballs are not made of pig skin. How did that not make, how did they not recognize what an absurd thing to say. It's just but illiteracy. It's and they wanted right, to do right. that. They, they wanted to mock the Bible, Dan. You know that. Of course, the writer of Hebrews right, said the right. old covenant's obsolete, and it is. doesn't apply to us anymore. We got one more segment with Dan Kimball, this great book, How Not to Read the Bible You Need to Get. I'm Frank Turek. The show is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Don't go away. We got another segment with Dan. Back in two. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. This book, How Not to Read the Bible, is so good that there will be a study guide coming out in January, and uh, it's a free study guide that you can get. And if you go to dankimble.com, you're going to be able to get this study guide for free. Is that right, Dan? Will you get it on your website? How do you get it? Yeah, we're putting up uh, teaching helps. There'll be study guides, a youth study guide, uh, uh, animated videos that uh, Zondervan, the publisher, is putting together for each section. Um, we're going to be having, uh, the slides, all the images in the book and the memes will be, uh, available to use if you're teaching. I think the greatest way to teach youth, young adults, your churches is put up some of the images that are being, uh, the critics, the criticisms of the Bible, put them up, making them comfortable, you know, ask them how they would solve it and then show them how to solve the issues, but use the graphics that are uh, familiar out there and then uh, teach through it. So those will all be up in January up on the website. Excellent. Again, the book is called How Not to Read the Bible. Dan Kimball is the author. He's my guest today. Dan, I do want to talk a little bit about the science section that you have here in the book. And uh, part of the problem that, uh, of course, many Christians have, at least they think it's a problem, there's controversy. Just how do we interpret Genesis 1? Is this supposed to be some sort of scientific explanation of how it happened scientifically, 
uh, or is this something else? How do we, how do, how are we supposed to look at Genesis one? Cause you know, Christians argue, they, they try and think the days are, you know, 24 hour days and all this, and the earth is six to 10,000 years old. Other Christians say, no, 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 no. These are, these are long periods of time. And how do we deal with this? Yep. Well, this is one of the principles, like the Bible was written for us, but not to us. You have to say, who is Genesis written to? I mean, like, who is the book of Romans written to? The Roman church, you know, we, we learn from it. Who is Genesis written to? It wasn't written to us today. It was written to the people of Israel. Like this is so, again, critical to, to think through basic Bible study methods. It was written to the people of Israel who were in a polytheistic culture in Egypt where they worshiped many different gods and goddesses and people and animals and their deities were uh, all, all of the, they lived in that world for 400 years. Remember, there was no written scripture at that time. So it was oral communication, probably a lot of confusion. God rescued them by specifically showing he was God over the, the 10 plagues were all about various gods of Egypt, Egypt that he was showing, I am God, not those things. And then brought them into the, the, the land and the, when he was writing, I'm sorry, brought him into the, whether it was the Sinai Peninsula, wherever he was for the 40 years of wandering. Um, and then at that point is when he was communicating the words of Genesis to that people group. And so he was answering their questions and communicating to them. Their questions were, you know, our quest, their questions were like, are we going to survive here in the desert? Are we safe here? Is there really only one God? Um, what about the Egyptian gods? Like, are they going to be angry at us? Who are they? Um, are they real? Is this God who rescued us still here with us? Um, you know, should we worship the sun? So like they were, those were their questions. So God was through the, you know, the Holy Spirit, through Moses, you know, writing what they wanted to know. Uh, and that was, I am the one God who created the sun. You don't worship the sun. I created the sun. Um, these Egyptian creation stories that you have heard, um, they, they're not the real story. I want to tell you now the real story. I created everything. You know, there's some interesting theories about, you know, uh, John Walton and others will have the theories of the six days of creation record, kind of like an, an inauguration of, of uh, a king. You know, so like was God using language and thoughts that they were familiar with? And we have to understand that. The questions for us today, like we want to know questions like how old's the earth? 6,000 years, 6 billion years. What about the fossil records? You know, um, what about uh, amino acids? Like all of these different things Were there dinosaurs on the ark. Those were not the questions of the people of Israel. And if we try to solve that, we're going to get caught in so many side arguments that miss the point of what God was trying to communicate to the ancient Israelites. In fact, you write this on page 173. You say there were several Egyptian creation stories, but the basic storylines are similar that before creation, there was nothing but a dark watery abyss of chaos. Out of these waters arose one of the Egyptian gods who separated the water from the land. Now, one of the big differences that you point out here, Dan, is that in this situation, in the Egyptian creation story, the so-called Egyptian gods are part of creation. They're not over right. creation like the Christian God is. The, the Christian God is outside the universe and creates the universe. The, the Egyptian God is somehow in the universe already, and he's the one that's separating the water and the land. And so it seems to me that this, as you, 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 you say in the book, this seems to be more like a polemic. Uh, you don't use that word polemic, but you're, you're basically mm -hmm. saying that 
these, these people that just escaped Egypt, 400 years of slavery, they want to be taught really who created the universe and who is the true God. And it seems like Moses is using the stories they may have heard in Egypt to, to point out that, no, he's the true creator. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it beautifully just then. I mean, that was their worldview. And so God was using their worldview and then to communicate, he is the one personal, intimate God who is with them. And uh, and the people weren't slaves to this God, like with the Egyptian gods and all of that. So he was showing like, you've heard these stories. Let me tell you the real true story of the real true God. And he can use elements of certain things. You know, it's the same thing. What, what we do have to understand looking at the Bible is God can use uh, symbolism and things that aren't like, say, the uh, the word heart. You know, like back in that mm -hmm. time with the Egyptians and, and the ancient Israelites, they actually would have thought that the heart is where would be our brain today. So like when they're, when they're using the word heart and they're saying uh, God wasn't then misleading people when he's like, you know, your heart will lead you, you know, it, because they didn't know that the brain was the brain. So God didn't say there's something called the brain. He used what they were familiar with, with saying using the heart. So we have to understand that God's it's like he's teaching children certain things and using language and images that they would understand in their world at that time. Um, and, and again, it's that's why all of this is so solvable if we just put basic Bible study methods into place. Now, the Bible does get it right, ladies and gentlemen, on the big issue. The big issue, of course, is that God created the universe. He's outside the universe. He created the universe. He created space, time and matter. How this is described, though, is described in a way that would make sense to people that lived 3,500 years ago and had just left the slavery situation in Egypt. And that's what Dan says in this book, a great book, How Not to Read the Bible. Dan Kimball is my guest again, dankimball.com if you want to go further. Now, Dan, before the show wraps up, we do need to talk about how important it is to provide answers to young people, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a young person yourself. Explain why that is. Yeah. Now I've worked, like I said, I've been in ministry with people long enough and see cycles of questions and different things. And I think a lot of times church leaders, parents, uh, grandparents, they're more concerned, like, you know, are they, are my kids going to, um, you know, uh, enjoy being in the church and enjoying youth group and, and is having a connect culturally. But what's going on now is then, you know, there's a university student that I talked to who went to, he started reading Exodus, right? Great. You're reading Exodus in your campus study. And then he starts reading God. You know, he, he never thought of the Passover before. And he said, God's killing children here with the firstborn of the Egyptians. And it confused him. He started reading about slavery, all of this stuff. He goes to his youth pastor. Uh, first, he went to his parents and his parents didn't know how to answer. Now, it wasn't their fault. Their church never, well, maybe it was, you know, their church never <laughs> trained them. Right. They weren't prepared. But what he said was seeing his parents kind of go blank about it. Like, is that in there? And that really affected and undermined his, well, maybe they, you know, I, maybe they don't really know what they believe. Mm. Then he went to his youth pastor and other leaders and he said they were giving answers like, well, in heaven, we might know the answer. And he said intellectually, he could not, uh, you know, say like, okay, I guess I'll just believe it anyway. And he said that undermined his confidence. And then he did an online search and he found a website 
evilbible.com. It's right. still up. I looked at it. And then he said he was overwhelmed with what he found there because then they're listing all of this. And my high encouragement to parents is you don't have to be an expert in all of these different things. You just simply have to be earlier on raising up the contemporary criti uh, criticism of the Bible and having your children and your youth be aware of these things so that when they do hear them and all the many others that I don't even talk about in this book, there's hundreds of others to just say like, oh, don't be surprised. There's plenty of stuff like there. Let's show you how you can make sense of it. I plead with youth pastors and senior pastors, please talk about this stuff because it is what's surfacing up now. And it's just so sad to see the undermining of faith and all the deconstruction stories are now, there's usually something behind it, you know, maybe reasons in their personal lives or situations going on, but there'll always, a lot of them are now saying these kind of Bible verses and blaming the Bible. And I can't believe this anymore. And the sad part is that's not true. There are reasonable responses to these. And I plead with parents and grandparents and youth pastors and senior pastors, please be teaching this stuff earlier on. It's critical. And, uh, and, and, and don't ignore this stuff today. And the ironic thing is in order to criticize the Bible, they have to steal from God to argue against him. They have to steal a moral standard to say that the God of the Bible is evil. Where are they getting this standard from? And so this book, Dan, is so good that I, I, I just can't say enough good things about it. It's how not to read the Bible, making sense of anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of scripture. Dan Kimball is the author. He's been my guest today. The forward's by Sean McDowell. It's endorsed by just about everybody for good reason. So Dan, thanks for putting this together and remind people where they can, uh, where they can learn more about this and more about you. Yeah, uh, dankimball.com. You spelt my last name, K-I-M-B-A-L-L. -L. And, um, and it's kind of like I post up there, but uh, there's a book page that we'll be putting up all the resources on next month, right after Christmas. We'll be putting them all up uh, for free. You know, and, and I've even offered, like, if anybody can't afford the book, tell me, I'll send you one. Like, I don't want that to be ever a barrier. I want people to have confidence in the scriptures. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.